Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right. And our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions, and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twix Chamois Cream, Swim and Sport Shower Products, and the Body Lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for... Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hey, Haley, welcome back to another week. How's it going? Alyssa, things are going really, really good. I am loving spring. It's officially spring. And while that hasn't really meant warm temperatures here, it's meant warmer temperatures and longer days. And I'm loving it. And we are like in that March toward like official spring into summer. And I can like smell the trail running already. It's coming. I'm so excited. That's awesome. I'm so excited to hear that even in Bozeman, it, spring is like blossoming because it definitely is here. My week was actually pretty low key, but my lovely mother has come to town and she's helping me with my spring cleaning actually. So I do kind of like a annual big clean out and kind of assess everything that needs to be like refreshed with like all of my clothes and training clothes and my shed that carries like all of my bike tools and parts and everything that gets buried in there through the year with like all of the traveling and training and stuff. And then I pull it all out and she helps me go through it all. And we kind of, you know, donate what we can. 
I dropped some things off with the UVA tri team and stuff like that. So I got it out of my apartment and I feel much lighter after the whole process. It's lovely. Oh, that's awesome. I did a little bit of that on like New Year's Eve. That was a better day for me, but, um, I spent some time doing that. I did New Year's Eve cleaning and that's, that's how I celebrate here, but I probably could do it again now. I think I've already like made a mess of everything in just like the whatever three months since then I need to do quarterly cleanings. I think the one thing I'm still waiting for though, with the springtime is like actually getting some color on my skin. So we're still waiting on that as like, I'm ready for my typical triathlete tan lines to like come into play, but I still, I'm going to Tucson in a couple of weeks. So I'm sure that'll help with that. Yeah, no kidding. I know I got that. I snuck in that trip down to South America and that was awesome. But I actually got a ton of sun the other day, just running. I was running in the snow and I was wearing a tank top, even though it was like 40 degrees. Cause 40 degrees here is actually like fairly warm, especially if it's sunny and you're like on the snow, you get that reflection. And I got a ton of color. It was great. Probably should have been wearing some sun barrier. I need to start carrying the, like the mini sun barrier packs so I can put them on like halfway. Cause I want like 30 minutes of sun exposure. And then I like probably need to like have some sunscreen on, but I just need that little bit of vitamin D cause it's just been so long. <laughs> I know. I hear you. I hear you. I mean, you can always come to Tucson. We ha- will welcome you with open arms. It's tempting. I know that's going to be a fun trip, but, uh, I know don't tempt me there. Lauren, Lauren and, uh, Hillary and all the other smash crew down there. I'll be like, mm, Haley, what? <laughs> oh, we weren't ready for this. We didn't pack enough food. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> But Haley, so for our listeners, we have a couple mailbag questions. You can always send us mailbag questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And one came in last week about water temperatures, because I guess open water swim season is definitely starting in some places. And the one thing you can count on if you're getting open water this early, generally speaking in North America, is that the water is going to be a little chilly. And so the question was about how we deal with water temperatures when it gets down into like the 50s, right? And so it's definitely something we've kind of chatted about before, but it's always good just to revisit and to kind of refresh ourselves as this is open water swimming season again, starting off and like being comfortable and kind of having your plan, I think, especially when the water is cold, is one, you know, just a swim safety basic, right? Yeah, we have talked about this. And I think, you know, I just swim in Bariloche where in Argentina it was 58 degrees. I think it was similar to that in Indian Wells, like around 58, 59 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's kind of, I mean, I think when you get too much colder than that, like you're looking at shortened swims and, um, it also depends on the air temperature, like that can kind of affect the difference. But personally, I don't find 58 degrees to be too bad. But what we've talked about is that, you know, people are, are different with their cold tolerance and, you know, it's how they grew up and where they live now and what they're exposed to on a daily basis. So what, you know, we've kind of talked about is do what you need to do to take care of yourself. If you know, you are someone who is cold in 58 degree water and 60 degree water, then, you know, do what you need to do. Don't look at me over there warming up in the water because that's what I'm going to do. But maybe you should be doing a dry land warm up. And just because one thing works for me doesn't mean that can't work for you. So, or it does work for you. It has to work for you. Do what you need to do. If you need to take time and, you know, in T1, put on gloves, put on gloves, you know, wear shoe covers, or I've taught, you know, I've heard of people putting like, um, trash bag, like a plastic bag down the front of their kit when they first get onto the bike, just for that wind protection. So I think those are some things that can really, you know, help keep you warmer, even when the temperatures are cold. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think so. I mean, 
And that can be carried over into anything. So like when you see Haley running in the snow in a tank top and putting on sunscreen, like maybe you need gloves and a hat that day. And that's totally fine <laughs> if that's what it takes for you to get your run done and stay warm and be happy about it. Yeah, exactly. I know that is something that uh, actually our guest today, this is a spoiler alert, but our guest today is a, is a first, she just did her first pro race and her name's Caroline Coble, And she actually was racing down in Bariloche. But I think after the race, we, I did get to chat with her a little bit and I don't want to give too much of a spoiler, but, um, you know, she was talking about certain things. She's like, I didn't think pros did that. I think it was like wetsuit strippers using wetsuit strippers. And she was saying, I don't think pros did that. And I was like, of course I'm like, it, who cares? You know, you don't have to do what Jan Ferdano does. You don't have to do what Daniela Reef does do what works best for you, no matter what. And that goes for any level. I think we can kind of learn from our competitors and our friends, but if you have something that works for you, I mean, you might be on to the next big thing. Speaking of what works for you is that brings us to our next mailbag question, which actually is a question that I sent to Haley this weekend and we're bringing it into the mailbag. And Haley, I think my question to you, so Noon Hydration has just announced a new hydration product called Noon Endurance. And this is in a like, so they have Noon Sport, which is just the electrolyte kind of replacement. And then Noon Endurance also has a carbohydrate like mix into it. I don't know. Additive. I don't know. Element to it. That's the word I'm going for. Element to there it. There are more calories. Yes. There are some calories. So I was particularly interested in this and we did get to sample some. So we had known it was coming. We got to our eyes and hands on the prototypes. And I definitely liked what I saw in those samples. And so when Haley was racing in Bariloche, I reached out to her this weekend to ask if she was using the Noon Endurance formula for Bariloche and how she went about doing that. Right. It was, it was a great question. I actually got it from a couple different people because I was very, very lucky to get that, uh, prototype. Um, and I was able to race with it in Bariloche, but so this, yeah, noon endurance, it differs from the noon sport, the noon sport, you know, mostly what we think of when we think of noon, we think of the tablets that we drop into water and they automatically dissolve. So this new endurance formula that has carbo more carbohydrates in it is more like the powder that you take a scoop and you add it to your water bottle. And it's still a fairly low calorie drink. I think it's like 60 calories per serving. So it's not like I, how I, what I told Alyssa was that I didn't necessarily use it as a calorie source. I use it as hydration. Still, I put it in my aero bottle really as a replacement for water. And I believe what we've learned, you know, through talking to Stacey Sims through her research is that and that's exercise physiologist, Stacey Sims. If anyone has not heard that podcast, definitely go back in our archives and you can learn a lot from her, but you need a little bit of sugar, like a little bit of, of a carbohydrate molecule. And that helps with osmosis and like hydrating your cells. And again, I'm not a scientist, so I might be saying this slightly incorrectly, but that's the general gist is that having some carbohydrate in your hydration helps with absorption. And that's something that I have struggled with in the past. So I do not like super concentrate a bottle. I keep it at the recommended strength. And I, when I ran out in Bariloche, I did replace it with water. So if you were a very coordinated athlete, you probably could get one of the single serve packages and replace, you know, mix it with water on course. I'm not that coordinated. So I just had to use what I had on my bike at the start. And then once I stopped, I, I had to stick with regular water, but I use the strawberry lemonade flavor. Um, it has a little bit of caffeine, which I really 
enjoy. <laughs> I can feel that caffeine. Boost That's my favorite one too. Caffeine. Yes. Yeah. And the flavor is great. So I definitely would encourage people to check that out and if, you know, and hopefully uh, give it a try in training and see if it will work for you. And we have that code iron women gets you 30% off at noonlife.com. And there are three other flavors I think as well that don't have caffeine. I have tried the mango citrus and it was fantastic too, but for racing, I want all the caffeine I can get. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks so much for sharing and helping us all be a little bit more like Haley, which after your race in Barrel Oche, again, I think everyone's going to want to do. And Haley, we have, again, we teased this a little bit last week, but next week we will announce our April contest, which is very exciting. And it's with Zelios, another one of our Iron Women partners. And so everyone stay tuned next week. Make sure you are listening in for your chance to win some Zelios products and I believe a gift card too. Oh, nice. I know everyone needs more Zelios products as, as we head into the Northern hemisphere summer, it's like everyone can use it. And I guess if you're in this, if you, if it isn't sunny where you are, you can always do shampoo, hopefully shampoo and conditioner, hopefully you're showering. <laughs> so, uh, no matter the weather, but, um, great products from them as well. And we have an interview this week, Alyssa, like I mentioned before, we're talking to Caroline Coble and Caroline is, she's a rookie pro this year. She just did her first pro 70.3 in Bariloche with me a couple weeks ago. And she's been, you know, had a really great run as an amateur for the last couple of years. I think she was top amateur at Ironman Canada way back in 2015. So she raced several years as an amateur collecting those top amateur titles and just decided this year to take that leap and go in the pro rank. So she's going to tell us a little bit more about her decision to race pro, what she thought of her first pro race, um, what she learned and advice she has for anyone else in her position. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Caroline, you recently raced Bariloche 70.3 and you finished fifth in your first pro race and doing so you nabbed the fastest bike split of the pro women. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It was a bit of a shock, but thanks. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about how the day unfolded for you? Yeah. Well, first of all, it was just like, it was such an honor to be there and, and race along fast people like Haley. Um, it was just pretty in insane experience and Haley congrats again on the win. Oh, thank you. But I'd say, you know, the day itself was, it was a lot all at once leading into the race. I was, you know, I was so nervous, the kind of nervous where you're just nauseous all the time, <laughs> but it was weird. The race morning, it kind of went away. And I think a big reason for that is, you know, all a bunch of the pros got onto a shuttle together, all of us and shuttle to the race start together. And like in the shuttle, we were all just chatting about life and training and racing and a bunch of non-triathlon related stuff. And that actually really put me at ease. So I felt like, you know, at the start in T1, I really didn't feel super nervous. And we had a lot of time in T1 because the race started at 10 a.m. And even just hanging around with the other pros, we were just joking and warming up and laughing. And that actually really helped a lot. Did Haley tell you the story about when her goggles snapped before the swim start? Because that's what she told me before my first pro race. And that was what calmed me down. <laughs> yeah. 
but I should wait before your first pro race daily that happens. No, before Alyssa's first pro race, her goggles snapped. And I was like, oh, that happened all the time. Actually, I think I told, I was telling Caroline about the time I got hit by a car. (laughs) That wasn't very good pre-race chatter, but um, it was like, I was like, this is the insurance you need to make sure you have. (laughs) These were important life topics, though. That's what I'm saying. We were like, we were covering all the important things. But yeah, in the in the race start, I mean, that's what we were we were starting to talk about, you know, tactics for for the swim, and um, we went out and we were scouting out the swim. They changed the course right before the start. It was supposed to be one big loop, and they they changed it to to two short loops. And the, all the girls were really helpful in telling me about what to expect in the swim because the swim, as we've all probably seen in the results, is a huge weakness of mine. And so all the ladies are like, you got to be prepared. We're going to go out hard from the gun. Um, and so I was prepared for that. And I, <laughs> I did my best to hang on and find some feet and essentially redlined for the first <laughs> five minutes and lost feet pretty, pretty quickly. And then proceeded to, you know, swim two laps all by myself. <laughs> um, and so, you know, long story short, I have to continue to work on my swim and swimming by myself in open water it actually ended up being my slowest swim and a half ever. Uh, didn't expect I need to that wait. I need all. to interject here though. It was a hard swim. And like, even though we were in a lake, there was like a part with a current and it was crazy because even at certain point, like I thought I was like, am I even moving forward in this current? Like Caroline, you remember like the part where you can see the bottom? Yes. It was yeah, so yeah. bizarre. I was like, am I even moving? Like it was crazy in a lake. So I don't, I don't, you need to like, you need to put an asterisk on that slowest swim time thing. Okay. I will do that actually makes me feel much better. <laughs> Thank you. Cause if you were feeling that way, then like times that times a million. And I was questioning my existence. I think, you know, I was questioning everything, <laughs> but yeah, I got out of the, the first lap and it was so silent. Like the, you know, the race volunteers and some of the fans that was dead silent. And I go, do I do one more? <laughs> this is after your second loop. <laughs> so you like, I you're cracking did. jokes. Yeah. I just like, I tend to do that. I'm pretty self-deprecating and it kind of, it helped me. So I got out of the swim way farther back than I thought I was going to be fumbled through transition with some frozen hands and feet. And I just, I was questioning everything. It was pretty demoralizing to be honest, but I think what I learned in my racing the past, you know, four or five years doing triathlon is it's really important to compartmentalize the race and like something happens no matter how it went, like you have to move on to the next discipline. And so in my head, I was like, all right, get on the bike. And I just got on the bike and raged. I rode by myself for whatever it was, two hours and 40 minutes and all by myself, like just head down, like kind of very task oriented, like it is what it is. I don't know how far back I am. I would imagine I'm very far back. And I just rode as hard as I could, essentially. Got off the bike, had no idea where I was again. So in a weird way, it didn't really feel like a race, right? Like I wasn't racing anybody. Um, I wasn't catching anyone. So I just I just tried to stay in it and had a run that was fine. I think I, I, think I could have run faster. I, I think I have some more speed in my legs, but... Um, was happy essentially to just hang on for dear life until the end, <laughs> but and it was, it was fine. <laughs> so, so you and I got to hang out a little bit post race and, and you talked about some of these feelings that you've come up with, you know, you've said here, and I think I, I think I actually got to break the news. I was like, but you had the fastest bike split in your very first pro race. So 
when you, you know, after a week after the race, like how, you know, has that performance sunk in and have your thoughts changed about your performance? That's a really good question. Cause I was, I was talking to my coach yesterday and I, I gave him my post, you know, one week post race thoughts, which were very different than my email the race day. <laughs> I sent him an email race day. I was like, I think I'm going to quit. I think I'm going to just focus on marathons and then have a baby. <laughs> and he's like, he got me in a week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think he just ignored it. Actually, he didn't even acknowledge it, which I actually appreciate. And yeah, to Haley, to your, to your point, I would say, you know, a little over a week out, I'm actually proud. I'm proud I showed up. I'm proud I didn't give up after the pretty horrific swim. So yeah, I actually have a tremendous sense of pride for for the perseverance I was able to, to show in the race, um, especially given the fact that I flew around, like essentially halfway around the world for my first race. Um, I'm actually pretty proud. I'm glad I, glad I did it. Zero regrets. And I'm pretty sure that hearing you talk about that race will give our other pro list, like the women who are pros who are listening, they'll all kind of go back to their first days. Well, maybe not Haley. Cause Haley probably was towards the front of that swim, <laughs> even in the beginning, but a lot of us, I know I can certainly relate to that feeling of the first like pro swim and how different it really can be when you are like, you're racing out the front and you're not sitting around for two hours and then going after a thousand age groupers have gone ahead of you, you know? Yeah. So it's a, it is a different environment. And the fact that you even recognize it and like are like thinking about it, I think is awesome. And so we're excited that you have changed your tune a little bit since race day, but you did mention about how like this was half a world away from your home. So you're based in Northern California in Mill Valley, I believe. And so Bariloche is in the Patagonia region of Argentina, right? So like I had, when Haley was going to race, I was like pulling out my, my maps to go inspect exactly where this <laughs> even was. You probably like you know, sometimes these races pop up and you're like, where even is that? Like, how do I even figure out like what airport to, you know, and you're just Googling all these things. Like no one really knows them off the top of their head. So what went into your decision and to race that far from home? And then would you re recommend that race for anyone like rookies or veteran pros or even age groupers who want to kind of have a destination race? Yeah, I'd say there, there were kind of three factors in why I chose Barloche. Um, one is I just, I needed to get a race under my belt. Like I had committed to racing pro in 2019 and I didn't want to put off my debut and like hope for the perfect buildup or the, the perfect amount of fitness and all that. I, that's not even my style broadly. I'm someone that's like, I got to show up and see how I go. And I knew with, with pro racing, I, I, I kept telling my coach, I have to get a race under my belt. Um, it's kind of a, a rip the bandaid off sort of thing. And Barloche happened to be an early season race. <laughs> um, so that put it on my radar. And then also another reason why I chose to go pro this year is I, I do view it as an adventure. It's brand new. It'll be brand new to me putting on my big girl pants, um, and seeing how it goes. And that's, that's really how I'm viewing this. And you know, I have always wanted to go to Argentina and the Patagonian region and those two things, you know, coming together was the, was the perfect opportunity, um, to, to race as my first debut. And I will say this in retrospect, racing a, a small race as your pro debut is actually awesome because especially if it's hard to get to and far away for most of the pros, because from my experience and you guys know better, I don't know what other races are like, cause I've done one, but 
you're forced to bond with the the other pros and like we're all trying to figure out where to get a good meal and where to ride our bikes safely and where's the best coffee and how do we get to and from the race what time is the meeting is there a shuttle back kind of that the the struggle of figuring out logistics i think we all figured it out together and i felt really close to a handful of the pros, you know, and like the fact that Haley and I were sitting in the shuttle on the way to the race and then had beers after the race together was pretty cool. Like if my first race was Oceanside where who knows how many starters there will be, I don't think that would have been the case. So Daniela would totally get beers with you. (laughs) I bet Daniela will be totally, she'll be like, yeah, let's go get beers after the race. (laughs) Oh yeah. Caroline, I know you, I know you, I've been wanting to hang out. (laughs) You'd be like, I saw you posted about cats on your Instagram story. I like cats, Daniela. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, I think it's true because, but even for amateurs listening, I think in, I, when I've raced in Asia, like you, the Americans seek each other, like you will find other like English speakers, like even maybe not American, maybe British athletes or something. Right. But like, you'll find other people that you can communicate with. And like the great thing about racing abroad is like, you're all there for the same purpose. So, you know, you have that in common and you know that you're all trying to get to the swim, right. (laughs) To start the race and stuff. So you do, you like band together. And I think for like you, you just bond with people, I think way more than you do in a place that's like more quote comfortable for people maybe to race in. So I love that part of racing abroad too. Yeah. Like I was Haley, I was texting with Lauren Palmer, one of the smash fest employees that I'm buds with. She was like, Oh my God, Haley's going to be there. You have to say hi to her. And I was like, okay, but she's such a big deal. And I'm probably never even going to be within like you know, arm's distance of her, but I'll try. Like, I was literally like, I'll try and work up the nerve to talk to her. And then (laughs) I don't remember, like, you had such a nightmare with the media and that meeting and you had to then check your bike in and all that. And you gave me directions. I was like, Hey, you tell me where to go. (laughs) Well, I just did it. So this is how you go. And I was like, I'm Caroline, by the way. And I felt like such a goob. (laughs) <laughs> oh, but you helped me out a lot. I did figure out where to check in my bike because it was a little bit of a fiasco there. So that is, yeah. So thank you. I'm glad that's how we met. And I'm glad, hopefully I'm not as scary now, but I kind of like that. I was, I'm like, I kind of like that. I give off a scary vibe. I've never had anyone sell it, say that to me before. <laughs> no, not, it wasn't scary. You're just a big deal. And I like, you know, respect you a lot. And I was like, Lauren, I'm going to try and talk to her. And then after we chatted, I was like, I talked to her. <laughs> and then, then you're like, and then she told me her old life story. And now she's on my podcast. But um, <laughs> anyway, going back to, that's probably what makes me most intimidating. It's this podcast. <laughs> Everyone's like, Alyssa and I, you should have seen us together in Indian Wells. No one would come near. <laughs> um, so going back. So basically you went right from Bar- Baraloche to St. George, Utah, back in the U.S. So I think you went home to California maybe for like a night in between. And you were at the Team Sunto camp. So this is a newer team that has popped up in triathlon. It seems to have taken the reins from Team Timex, which that team uh, ended last season. So can you tell us about what Team Sunto is and who's on it and why we should be excited about this new team? Definitely. So I will make a slight correction that it's the Sunto multi-sport team. And that's actually important um, because what makes the team really unique and cool is the fact that it's not just a triathlon team. It's actually, it consists of a bunch of trail runners, ultra people. There's a couple people on the team that they don't necessarily do races, but they'll like do kind of 
Alyssa, similar to some of the stuff you do, like fastest known times on like epic trails. And so I love that. Like, I don't necessarily identify purely as a triathlete. I started, you know, my first endurance, my first endurance uh, race ever was a trail marathon. And my longest run before that was seven miles. And I just like showed up to a trail marathon, like, here I am, what's up? (laughs) And it was kind of a slog, but so I really identify with more the adventure of pursuing all of these different sports. And like, frankly, I am not just saying this, like the multi-sport, the Sunto multi-sport team, like totally embraces that. And it was cool this past weekend. It was, wasn't quite as much a training camp. It was actually a lot of meeting your fellow teammates. There's 52 people on the team. The majority is triathletes. I think 30 or 32 people are triathletes, um, like elite age groupers. And there's a handful of pros. I happen to make that cut. I don't really know why, but, um, and then there's, you know, the, the rest of the team is runners of all different types, ultras, some guys that focus just on 10 Ks on the road, everything. So I really, really like the range of athletes they pulled together and the camp consisted mostly of us actually in like classroom settings, learning from our sponsors, um, kind of getting trained on all the products so that we can, we actually understand what we're using. And, you know, the other sponsors include obviously Sunto is the headline sponsor, but Cervelo Bikes will be our bike sponsor, NV Wheels, what else? Noon Hydration. And there's a bunch of just incredible sponsors that came on board. So a lot of it was learning from them and talking to them um, and giving them feedback on their products. And then we kind of would squeeze in training before and after those long days, kind of in the classroom. Um, and you guys, I'm sure you guys have both been to St. George. But I actually haven't. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's on my list for this year. So to go race there, I know it's crazy. I've never been there. You have to do that. You got to do that race. It's, it's just like mind blowing. It's so beautiful there. The race, the St. George half is like very honest course. There's no hiding on that course. It's super tough. Um, so we stayed right near Snow Canyon, which is um, part of the, the bike course for St. George. And so, you know, every morning we would just like go for a, a long run in the canyon. And just it was awesome to get to know all the all these teammates. Everyone has a story. Um, it kind of pulls you out of your own head of like my, you know, my racing and my training experience. And it was awesome to just meet all the teammates and, and hear their story and what their race plans are this year. It was pretty cool. I was, I was blown away, frankly, by the support this team's going to have. I have heard that St. George is great. So it sounds like they picked a perfect location for that, but I don't know, maybe one of these years I'm going to have to get to, to, to the race in St. George. But when I look back at your results as an amateur, Caroline, uh, they were like super, super impressive. So you were the first amateur at the 2015 Ironman Canada and 2016 Ironman Vyman, as well as you had multiple other top three age group Ironman uh, and 70.3 finishes, age group and overall amateur podium. So how easy or hard was the decision to make the leap into the pro ranks of racing for you? It was really hard. It was a really hard decision. I think like really specifically when you're a bad swimmer, you're that much more exposed when you go to the pros. You know what I mean? Like you could always say if you have a, maybe a weaker run, could always be like, oh, I blew up and didn't have a great run. But <clears throat> with the swim, you're immediately exposed. And so I think I had to come to grips with that and be willing to to handle that, frankly. So for a long time, I was like, I, I don't know if I'm willing to put in the work to get to where I need to be in the swim. And, and I had to think on that for, you know, a couple of years. Actually, I had a lot of 
old coaches and a lot of people tell me, don't do it. Um, your swim's too bad. It's, you know, you have to work too hard to get it better. Just don't do it. And I believe them for a while. So I wasn't really planning on, on going pro, but I had this strange experience when I was, when I was home, we were, we had a bunch, we, we were together with some relatives and I was looking at some of them and I could tell there were some deep seated, like regrets of things they maybe didn't pursue in their life. And I thought to myself, I was like, I, I think in 10 years with, you know, wherever I'm at in 10 years, if I look back and, and saw that I didn't try this, I would like really, really regret not even having tried. And so I was like, I'm going to do it. And I wrote out a, like a, a pros and cons list with my coach and shared it with him. And he, he was like, let's do it. Let's, let's make this happen. And I knew I was going to keep working for full time. So it's definitely a matter of like juggling it at all. But that was, I would say that was a big reason for doing it is I don't want to, I don't regret having not done it. And so is that the kind of advice that you would give to someone who's maybe standing in your place where you were a year ago, like a woman who's thinking about going pro, you know, is, I mean, is it the, the lack of regrets? Is it just going for it now that you've done one race? Like what kind of advice would you tell to that woman? Go for it and don't let fear drive your decisions, like make your decisions based on like the potential and things you can gain from the experience don't, don't let your decision be fear-based. That would be my number one advice. And I don't, I don't regret It's like any workout you do, it's so hard to start the workout. Right. And then once you're done with it, you surely didn't regret doing it. And that's kind of like an analogy for my pro season so far is like, it was really hard to start. And I questioned myself a lot, but now having done it and everything I've learned from it, it's already worth it. How much I learned about racing myself, how much I learned from the other pros, like it's already worth it. So that's kind of the the advice I'd get. Honestly, it's good to get your ass kicked every so often too. (laughs) Like, let's all remember this. Okay. Triathletes can get a little, I am not, I wouldn't think I'm one of them, but triathletes can get a little full of themselves. So like, Winning your age group gets to a point where if you're always winning, it's like, is that going to keep being cool for you? Like, put your big girl pants on and and go race and don't be afraid to get get worked. I like you. it. That's that's the advice we wanted to hear. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> Caroline, you touched on the fact that you would still be working full time as you started racing pro. And so you're continuing your job in finance through the season and after the race in Bariloche, um, Haley shared with me that you sent her an article that was written by the late Olympic cyclist, Kelly Catlin about trying and failing to find balance between life and elite sport. So we realized that obviously your pro career has just kind of kicked off, but was there something in there that made you relate to Kelly's struggles? Yeah. So in her, I'm sure, I'm sure your listeners are aware of, of her, you know, she, she recently took her own life, sadly, for many reasons, I'm sure we all won't be able to understand, but she had just written this article, written this article, um, about how hard it is to balance, you know, being a professional athlete while pursuing her PhD. I think it was in mathematical computation or something incredibly impressive. And she did say something in it that really resonated with me. That was like, you know, it's hard to balance it all. And at this point, you probably expect me to say something like, you know, it's all about time management and life hacks and being as efficient as you can be. But the truth is, it's like juggling knives and sometimes something falls, falls through. And, you know, that's, I totally resonate with that. And frankly, 
taking my pro card, like, yes, it's changed in that I've stepped up and I'm racing against the pros, but I still struggled with that before, like the, you know, training as much as I could and squeezing it in before and after work and still trying to be somewhat social and all those things we all struggle with, but I, I definitely, it, it definitely resonates with me. And so after Barloche, some things I've been thinking about is how can I make, make all of this easier on myself? And one, you know, one thing is like, I commute to work on my bike. So it's like, I, I live over the bridge North of San Francisco and I'll commute by bike with my backpack on with all my gear in it. And I'll do intervals on my way into work and I'll like store my back, you know, stow my backpack in the bushes and try and do intervals. And while I can do it, I just know it takes kind of like a mental toll on me because it's just a lot, a lot of logistics to think about. So one change we've already made with my coach is like, I just, it's easier mentally for me to just wake up and go downstairs in my garage and hop on the trainer and just bang it out, not have to like pack another backpack and then pack another change of clothes to ride home and all the, all the additional logistics that like, not to make excuses, but it just adds up. So that's just one example of, of one change we're trying to make or like, I want to keep doing this, but have to figure out how to make it a little easier on myself. <laughs> but yeah, it's totally hard. Um, I feel like I have FOMO all the time with all my girlfriends and all the fun stuff they do on the weekends. But for now, this is my priority. So it's, it's worth it. I can, I can relate a lot too. And I do thank you for sharing that article. And I think we can learn a lot, you know, from Kelly Catlin and and I know I've had times where I've totally struggled. We all have where you think like you are failing and it is just about, you know, taking a step back sometimes and like, yeah, being kind to yourself and being like, oh, this is, this is actually really good. And sometimes it takes someone else on the outside being like, no, you're doing awesome. Like, or pointing out, Hey, you had the fastest bike split, that kind of thing. And so it is good to like surround ourselves with those people. And I think I also try to remember like, this isn't forever. You know, like when you get that FOMO, those FOMO feelings, like this is, this is a snapshot. This is like this time in my life. Like there's still so much time. So, um, it is, it's, it's a good conversation to have though. I think to talk about that when you are struggling. Yeah, I think you're right. And to have a little more, like go easy on ourselves that like, it's okay if you can't do it all, all, all the time. Absolutely. It's really important to remember that. But I also actually, you know, my friendships with the, when I'm missing brunch on the weekends with my girlfriends. I do miss that. I always will while I'm doing triathlon, but also the friendships you form like on your six hour training day rides with like your other training friends. That's a whole different level of friendship. Um, and I value my training partners in the Bay area so much. My husband, when he lets me try and keep up with him on the bike, Kelsey Withrow is a local pro that I train with a ton. Um, and then my, I, I race for the Olympic club as well. And a lot of those those athletes locally, like we train so hard together. We bonk together. <laughs> we go through all of that together. And like, that's actually a pretty good outlet. And you feel, you know, that's actually a pretty social thing. That's, I would argue a lot more valuable than just going and sitting at a bar and drinking with your friends. You know, I value that a lot. The, those, those long rides a lot more. <laughs> I, I agree. They can attest to <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. But there's something special about a beer after like a hard race day or after a long ride. It just tastes better than if you're just like at brunch. Like, I mean, I, again, uh, yeah, like the tell one time more, a year, tell us I more about the podium beers, Haley. Tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying like, I've been to brunch like once in the last like three years and it was fun, but like, I only needed it once every three years. <laughs> 
maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I do look a good mimosa. I will say that. I like a, that's it's fun, but I needed it to be like yeah. a week. And like Alyssa was, or Alyssa and I were talking earlier about like, I need it to be like the weekend after the race. Like you have to time that like just perfect. So the weekend after the race, when you still have those endorphins from exercise and then, um, and then you really get to enjoy it. Yes. Yes. Timing is everything. We have to be very selective about those kinds of things. <laughs> right. So, so last year you raced Kona as an age grouper in October, and then you followed it up with a 248 marathon at the California International Marathon in December. So, wow, that's a crazy fast time. That's awesome. And you obviously found that Ironman training was a great base that you were able to kind of leverage into the open marathon. So can you tell us a little bit about what you, you know, what you did in between those two races and what was your goal going into that marathon? Did you think you would run a 248? No, I didn't think I was going to be anywhere close to a 248. My, my goal, I don't, I try not to have time goals that much. I try not to obsess over time goals, but whenever people would ask what my goal is, I would say it'd be nice to go under three hours. I don't know. And so that was, I guess the closest thing I had to a goal, but most of the time in any race I show up to, my goal is to go as hard as I can and see if I can hang on. And so that was my objective for CIM was, um, show up and I, I was banking on some, some Kona fitness for sure. And maybe had a bit of a chip on my shoulder from Kona too. Cause I was a little disappointed in that results, um, given the work I put in. So that probably helped fuel the fire a little bit for CIM. But yeah. I showed up at the, first of all, conditions were perfect. I'm sure you guys read, but like 99 women at CIM this year qualified for trials, which was so awesome. And the energy on the course that day was just electric. It was so cool. But so conditions were perfect. That helped a lot. Um, and I remember race started and I, we went out so fast. It's a kind of downhill race to start. And we went out so fast. I looked down on my watch and we were like six minute pace. So I was just like, this is bad. This could end really poorly. Um, but I'm going to try and hang on for as long as I can. And I did. And, and you know, faded a little bit at the end, but you know, I knew I was at a certain point, I think at mile 23, I knew I was going to go under 250, but was pretty far away from 245. So, and 245 is the Olympic trials qualifying time. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Which wasn't even my goal, but like, I, I knew that was the time, you know? And so I kind of knew I was straight in between and, um, yeah, essentially just then my goal changed at mile 23 was finish without throwing up at the finish line. Um, and I managed that goal because <laughs> ask any of my friends, but if it's like a hard running race, that's just an open running race, like a half marathon or a 10 K I throw up at the finish every time, like without fail. And so <laughs> that I'm sure that results in a lot of good, like finisher picks from those <laughs> the finish line. Andy one. I have a great one. I guess I'm curious. Cause like, so Kona is mid October, right? CIM's the first weekend of December. So that's probably six weeks in between. Right. So I'm sure our listeners would be interested too. Cause I think a lot of people try and like, think about that. Like, could I do a marathon banking off of, you know, Ironman fitness? And did you do like specific marathon workouts kind of in between, or did you really just focus on recovery? I feel like as soon as you're recovered from Kona too, it's like, you kind of would be tapering. Right. So how did you manage that? Yeah, I, I, I took like a full week, essentially completely off after Kona. Um, I maybe did a, like a spin or something. I didn't do very much at all. Um, and slept a lot. And then I 
didn't swim, which looking back on that might've been a mistake. <laughs> and I ro- rode my bike only a little bit, but I, I ran, I would say my like weekly mileage, those, you know, after, after my initial Kona recovery was probably, you know, 40, 45 miles a week. I did zero track workouts. Essentially all we did was, uh, you know, some, some hills. Honestly, I swear hills is like the best way to, you guys know this, but the best way to get stronger without the stress of, of like speed work on the track. So we did, we did some hill work, which, which really helps like four minute hill efforts. And then, you know, just some, some mile repeats, um, and half mile repeats, uh, but honestly, nothing crazy. It was like maybe one or two sessions, hard sessions like that a week, and then a longer run uh, on the weekend. And frankly, I think a big change I've made this year and last year that helps my run get a lot better is I run most of my runs way slower. You know, I used to want to run every run at like 7.15 pace for no apparent reason. Um, and now my, my long, easy runs are actually easy. Like I'm, you know, I'm doing eight thirties and there's no shame in that. And, um, we saw an immediate change in, in my ability to, to like run fast off the bike and surprisingly run, run well at CIM. So that helps a lot. That answer is like music to every coach's ears, including my own. And I can echo the same thing. Like when I do my easy runs, I am, like 8:30 is like fast and that's not even cuz of the snow but um and it is but then on the hard days you go really hard and it's it's amazing how that works but Caroline in college you actually played soccer for an NCAA Division 1 team at the University of California Berkeley so big time soccer here so I'm curious to get your opinion on the recent lawsuit filed by the U.S. women's soccer team, they are suing um, U.S. soccer for institutionalized gender discrimination with athletes alleging everything from lower paychecks, higher number of games played, and lesser travel accommodations than their male counterparts. So can you give us any insight into the soccer world and what we might be able to learn from these women's struggles for gender equality that we can bring to our own sport? Yeah, I think um, I think this is a really important topic, and I'm really proud of the the women's national team for not backing down. This this battle has been going on since I think 2015, um, when they won the World Cup in Canada, um, and then we're, I think they were forced to go on a not forced, but they were then they went on a, a a game tour where they had to play you know a bunch of games and didn't get paid very much, but it ended up generating, you know, millions in revenue for U S soccer and the women essentially didn't see much of that in return. And so I think that really initiated this, this ongoing conversation there insisting that we have, it's really important. I think revenue is revenue, right? And I know that's what the U S soccer federate U S soccer federation looks at. Um, and their main argument is that uh, men's soccer generates more revenue. When you look at just how many people watch an MLS game or um, the Men's World Cup, things like that. But if you just look at results, you know, the women's soccer team is by far and away so much more valuable than the men's. We have put soccer on the map globally, I think, for the U.S. The men's team has not, you know, just they just haven't quite done it. They haven't gotten the results. They haven't gotten that far in World Cups. Um, the women have won multiple, and I think it's a really important conversation for them for them to be having. It's kind of I don't want to you know this topic is obviously touchy, but 
I think when you look at gender pay gaps across all industries, right, the argument is that women have to work more for the same level of pay. And that's happening with U.S. soccer now, too. Like they play they pay play, sorry, you know, almost double the amount of games as the men's team in a given year just to get paid. And they're not even getting paid nearly as much. So that's one topic that's an issue. I think another topic that is super important, and I'm so glad they have continued to pursue it, is the the fields they play on. So a lot of times, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but the men, like all of their games, World Cup games, are always played on real grass, which is really important. Um, it's way easier on your body when you slide tackle, when you cut. Grass is much more forgiving. And yet um, FIFA... And, and U.S. the U.S. Soccer Federation were comfortable with the women literally playing on AstroTurf for some of their games, which, I mean, you look at the stats on how bad that is. It's not at all forgiving. It's usually turf put over cement. And so when you're slide tackling, it's like so bad for you. The rate of uh, tearing your ACL goes up when you're playing on AstroTurf. It's just bad. And I've torn my ACL. It's not fun. And so and I think, you know, since since the, the women's national team has brought this up, the last few years, they've already seen changes being made. So now they they no longer play on AstroTurf. So I think, A, long story short, A, it's an important conversation to be having. I absolutely think there has to be uh, more equity in terms of, of pay across men's and women's uh, soccer in the U.S. And But also it's really promising to see that, that progress is being made. And and it's a, it's just an important conversation. The weird thing to me when I when I read it too is like the the way men's and women's players are paid in the U.S. is so different. So like the women have a salary and then a small bonus if they win a game, whereas the men, oh you know they they actually rely more. And that's so sorry at the national team level, whereas the men can rely so much on their MLS salary that they actually only get paid by uh, the men's national team if if they're playing in a game. Or in a camp. And so that to me in and of itself is like, why is the pay structure so different? Like, why don't we just make that the same too? So either way, you know, these things take time and I I, I respect the women for for their persistence and in, in having this conversation. It's really important. Well, and thanks you thanks for what for yeah. weighing in, but also thank you for confirming my theory that soccer players make the best triathletes. <laughs> Because <laughs> yes. I grew up playing soccer too. And I swear, like we've had a lot of women on, um, who also have a background in like, not swim, bike run, but soccer. Right. So I think it definitely is a strong sport. So for all the women who are all the pro women having their babies these years, maybe you should be thinking about putting them into soccer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love that. Definitely. And Caroline, what's next for you and how can our listeners follow the rest of your rookie pro year? Um, what's next for me is I'm, I'm signed up for Oceanside, but I might, I might not do it cause I have some work travel and a trip to London the next few weeks, but TBD on that, um, planning to race, um, a, a handful of other races this year, Victoria 70.3. Um, I'd like to do Whistler, probably Santa Rosa 70.3. It's, it's close by, um, and we'll, you know, we'll kind of play the, the rest of the season by ear, but the, the plan is to race a lot and learn a lot. And I guess, where can people find me? Is that what you asked? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm on Instagram. Don't give out your address. <laughs> okay, you can call, you can call my personal cell. <laughs> it's, <laughs> <just kidding. laughs> 
I would totally do that. I'm surprised I haven't done that before. But um, anyway, go ahead. What's your Instagram handle, Caroline? Um, it's it's at caroline.cobel, C-O-B-L-E. That's it. At awesome. Caroline. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Caroline, for coming on today, sharing a bit of your first rookie pro experience. And we and all of our listeners are going to be excited to follow the rest of your 2019 year season extravaganza. It's going to be great. I hope so. Um, and thank you guys so much for the opportunity. And thanks for doing what you do with the podcast. It's awesome. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You are right. And do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of Iron Women to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code Iron Women for 30% off. Haley, I think it was interesting her looking back, her retrospective on her race and how she noted that like her, her opinion changed of how she felt immediately after what she wanted to tell her coach. And then like a week later, kind of what was going on. And I think that's probably a pretty common theme, not only for pros, but amateurs too. Oh gosh. And I've, I felt that like in every single race, there's always a point in every single race where I'm like, you know, it's just like, Oh my gosh, goodness. I've never done so terrible in my entire life. And then you get some perspective and you're like, no, I did awesome. I'm so great. Like, I'm so proud of myself. So it's kind of here. It's cool to hear someone like vocalize that though. And like say it, cause it's, I think it's something that a lot of us always think, but we don't always say. So thanks to Caroline for sharing that story and all the other ones. It was a cool interview. And we have been getting many new listeners these weeks, which we thank you guys for. And one thing we want to mention in case you didn't know this is that we do have a newsletter. So Kelly O'Mara writes the, if we were writing weekly newsletter that comes out and has kind of some gossip from triathlon. It has tidbits and news from not only triathlon, but endurance sports and sometimes just random other places where Kelly is finding entertainment on the internet that we would probably be bringing up and talking about if we were going on long rides together over the weekend. But Kelly lives in California and I live in Virginia. So instead I just read her newsletter and then text her about all the things instead. Uh, <laughs> but if you aren't getting that newsletter, you definitely want to, and you can head to livefeisty.com on the right hand side. I believe you can click on that sign up for the new, Oh, there's like a, there's fields. You just put in your email address and your first name and your last name. Yeah, it's, it's cool. It comes out every Wednesday morning, pretty early, at least for me here in mountain time zone. Um, it's perfect I know for I, the East coasters. Yeah. Well, I'm able to like check my email and kind of like, you know, look at it while I'm like brushing my teeth before morning practice, <laughs> before morning some practice. I like what's, what's like Kelly's latest. And there's interesting articles. I'll like bookmark those to like go back and read later, but she finds some cool stuff. So definitely check that out. If you aren't, if you aren't subscribed already, you want this newsletter in your inbox every week. 
And of course, if you've been listening for a while, please share with your friends and let them know that you're listening to um, and give us a rating and review on whatever app you're using to listen. It does help and we appreciate it. All right, Alyssa, I will uh, talk to you next week. Bye, Haley. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FQC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen.